0: Welcome to episode nine, I believe, of NFT World Legendary. We're back after a one-week break. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to be back.
1: I think we have quite a lot of things to speak about in the couple of minutes that we uh, connected before starting the recording and going through all of the topics. Pretty excited about this one.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Seven days is a long time. In the NFT world, 10 to 14 days is even longer. Um, So we've got a lot of interesting developments to discuss. How's your week been? Last week was pretty,
1: pretty intense. Um, Despite not recording the podcast, I feel like I got quite some work done with uh, 32 Dreams, especially in terms of reaching out to other communities, doing like a bit of business development. So it's been a pretty good week, I'd say.
0: Yeah, the one thing we did 32 Dreams Related while I was on holiday was I asked for, for the spaces on Wednesday, I asked the hotel people that I needed a quiet space. Um, just like a small room, small office, and they put me in the biggest VIP like room available. So it's just me sitting on this huge sofa in a really huge VIP room with a huge balcony overlooking the whole uh hotel grounds and stuff. Which felt a bit weird, but it was pretty useful. So, but you get used to that. Yeah, it makes a change from this from this usual <laughs> from this usual <laughs> office. Um, but yeah, that's pretty funny. But yeah, it felt in, in general in the in the NFT world, it does feel quite quiet at the moment, doesn't it? We're obviously in a period of time where people are probably kind of hurting from the fallout in the markets. And in general, and I don't think I was checking with this, uh, with you earlier, it wasn't only because I was on holiday that it felt quiet, like it is just a bit quieter, right? Yeah, it it certainly
1: feels that way. Um, Also feels like engagement is um, down on on a broader range with with many people who mentioned that they don't have the reach that they used to have anymore. Um, And certainly a lot less uh, going on and yet the, on a on a superficial level at least i'd say
0: yeah definitely but then at the same time there is there is always stuff happening of quite large significance and there's always a bull market somewhere and so one of the things we have noticed in particularly in the last week but i mean i've been aware of this play for a long time and we're going to we're going to start here the ens domain names and in particular the numbers his is going pretty wild at the moment, really, really crazy. So do you want to first just explain just a bit about what the ENS domain is practically?
1: Basically, the ENS domain is a human-readable version of your wallet address. So let's say a wallet nickname that you can set, like in my case, legendaryvault.eth for one of my um, vault accounts that you can use to... Transact with instead of having to remember my wallet address, like the 0x39ac, blah, 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 blah. Um, has been around for a couple of years, has had a massive airdrop last year, always been building, always been interesting. But I feel like, especially since the start of this year, um, the basically people who did very well in flipping domains and people who are aware of the domain flipping in a typical web one, web two space, um, Also uh, looking at um, the ENS domains, and obviously smarter people did that in the last years. And we've seen a great deal of uh, brand names, of um, general names, of very um, short names, of numbers, especially being flipped and, and raising to absurd values almost, like the 999 club which includes well all numbers all three digit three digit numbers from 000 to 999 has a floor of 30eth right now
0: yeah so taking one step back the, the the general point of them is that they are to represent your wallet address it's very very similar to the domain situation like obviously a company would want to own their own brand domain like their website Uh, Domain, But I guess it's got that additional facility to facilitate payment, right? So this is, you'd be able to direct payments to your company address, which is super helpful to own it. And lots of people have bought these in advance of that. And I saw, so you mentioned the 999 club, but there are also companies, I think PwC last week bought their own domain, uh, sorry, not their domain, their ENS for 60 plus ETH, which is... The big a four pretty, are buying in. Yeah. The big four are buying in. So I think that happened, which is fairly significant. And yeah, this, then the numbers club thing at the moment. I remember when this was being talked about on Twitter a month or even maybe more ago, where people were suggesting or making the comparison for numbers and, uh, license plates of cars. So it was the idea that, look, people pay for whatever reason. They pay huge amounts of money to have either customized number plates or, you know, a very low number on their number plate to show that they were able to afford it and that they're the only person who was able to get that. And in a similar vein, that's what the ENS numbers represent. And they've kind of really smart to turn, I don't know who's in charge of turning it into a club But the person that did that is probably quite nice. So they've got the nine 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 club, and there's also different country clubs. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We have
1: the nine 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 club. We have the nine 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 club with Chinese characters, with Korean characters, and with Arabic characters.
0: Amazing, and all of these are fairly profitable. So you can buy for people who don't know, you can register an ENS super, super cheaply as long as no one else is ready. Especially right now
1: with low gas prices.
0: Exactly. So what, it would cost $10 maybe, $20? I would say
1: five to six bucks even. I mean, Gway was in one digit yesterday, so it has to be significantly below 10 bucks, I'd say.
0: Yeah, like about 10 bucks to register ENS names at the moment with the scope well, depending on what type of name you want, uh, with a huge scope, you'll be able to find something useful. Naturally, most of the really, really good names have been taken, but mm-hmm. it's still pretty amazing that it's going on this run at the moment. How sustainable do you think this run of on ENS numbers is going? Do you think, like, do you think it will go the way of the driving license? type of thing where this will be valuable, it will hold value and someone else will buy it from you in the future? Or is this like an influencer pump? I think to
1: some extent it has to be a massive influencer pump, especially if we look at the floor price differences between the different um, clubs, namely the Chinese, the Korean, and and the Arabic floors on the one hand. On the other hand, I think a lot also depends on how sustainable You know, this narrative of ENS domains being our digital identities in the Web3 space or on the Ethereum blockchain will, you know, will sustain. Um, And I think as long as there is general consensus on that, that ENS domains are the number one digital identity for us in Web3, they can um, be in a position where they will be able to hold that value. But the volumes that we see right now, with that being said, are still absurd. Like in the last 24 hours, if I look at the top categories, we have 800 ETH volume for the 999 Club, another 540 ETH for the 10K Club, another 460 ETH for the 999 Chinese Club, and another 320 ETH for the Arabic 999 Club. So like what, 2K ETH just on those "Quote unquote four clubs in the last twenty four hours seems a lot."
0: Yes, yeah, it does. Decide it does suggest that there's a bit of a run on them right now, and I don't know. I, I, I can see the, I can see the fact that it's obviously gained traction. There's a run on them. It is a narrative being pushed pretty strongly by various people online. But I, I, I do see some truth in the narrative. Like I, I do see, there, there are many, many cases of the the license plates being sold for outrageous sums because people just want to be the only person in London or Dubai or wherever with the number five number plate, for example. And it's just tapping into that that um, that desire to to show. Yeah, to to demonstrate your significance in that respect. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's not
1: like that. People are going to use a five digit ENS to be like, "Hey, I'm five two 52340. Oh. Um, you say
0: that, but I've 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 seen people start to, I see to use that, their numbers. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I see that I see that a <laughs> lot on Twitter as well. But I think it's more about the flex of having that than rather using, um, I don't know, legendary as your ENS or whatever your your name is. So. And I think there is, there is value to that flex. Like I have a beautiful phone number, for example, which I'm not going to share on the podcast, but it's super easy to remember, (laughs) um, you know, it, and I like it. And I've actually, I got calls in the last couple of years, people asking if I'm selling that phone number and I'm not selling that. Wow. And I got it almost like, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, and I'm going to keep that. So Mm. I,
0: I, I do get the,
1: you know, the attraction of the numbers.
0: Yeah that's really interesting. I'd never heard that in the context of phone numbers. But yeah, there's definitely something valuable there in this obviously assuming that Ethereum the Ethereum blockchain it continues its sort of trajectory as being the you know either the primary uh place of transactions moving into the future. But it is pretty funny to see <laughs> just random numbers trading at crazy prices. Um, But yeah, really interesting. I also wanted to talk a little bit about one of our favorite companies who did a mint last week and talk a little bit about why the, the, the very strong discrepancies between people's perceptions of it. So punks comic did a mint last week where they, Uh, it was a 0.2 mint price to mint you had the option of mint well it's not the option you had the chance of minting a comic three which is the release that this release was for it was for a comic three but if that within that uh within that mint you had the chance to win a whole set of other genesis items so these were items that already exist in the punk comic ecosystem they trade at a significantly higher floor price than the uh, price of the comic three so it's kind of like a lotto system right like you you a uh, pack uh, opening system where you pay a price you might get the thing that you think you're paying for alternatively there's a bunch of other options where you might land something far more valuable I thought that everyone understood that dynamic. I don't necessarily think that was the case. What was your take on the, the, the experience and the reaction to the sale?
1: Yes. I'm going to talk a bit to the experience first. Yeah. I think think, that's worth it. Yeah. I think it was flawless and, and the way they executed on the drop um, was very, very smart. So basically, what they did is they split it up into two transactions. And the first transaction was basically just there for you to get into the queue and to submit the amount of ETH that you wanted to dedicate to the Mint. So basically Mint 3 Comics for 0.6 ETH in that case um, and get into the kind of on-chain pack opening queue. And then the other um, half was handled by... Um, pixel vault themselves was the chain link vrf part so which is basically the part that um, takes care about the randomization of the pack drop of the pack opening and then the actual minting of your items and this was covered by pixel vault so and they also had mint windows for two hours each depending on what assets you had that put you in one of the different mint windows so basically they I didn't have any gas war and the transactions were like super cheap to get in. It was like four, five, six dollars to uh to mint your comics. And splitting that up into those two transactions is super complex on a technical level um to handle that like they did, but turned out to be an incredibly smooth experience. So I like that a
0: lot. So that's really positive, right? I like, I mean I don't know how much the average consumer is willing to care about that stuff but i like as a as a general uh, observation uh, well, and certainly as a consumer of many other mints and various other drops which don't go so smoothly and which do result in all sorts of turmoil as you try to get the thing that you're trying to get and just can't get it for various blockchain reasons like high gas or being in a in a war with someone. It, it was very, very, it's, it, it's it's certainly not nothing that they managed to execute that in that particular way. They also did a similar uh, window system pr- prior to this one, I think with the, one of the other drops they did. So they've obviously learned from that, made it really, really a refined process this time, which is really good to see. So that's the positive on the technical side. What did you think about the reaction to the drop after, and this is not an insignificant job. I think the supply was something like 14,000 or am I making that up? It was like 14,000 or 18,000 and they sold out like they sold out in a bear market where people are very, very reluctant to part with their funds at the moment, but they sold out. That's an unbelievable uh, achievement and an unbelievable uh, representation of where the demand for their products is when in a, in a situation where everyone else is finding it very difficult to move products. I thought that was very impressive in and of itself, right? Yeah. Um, they
1: sold out in, I think in the second to last minting window. So in 2B, 2C, no, in 2C Mm. is where they sold out at the beginning of 2C. Um, pretty, pretty impressive. The community reaction, as you said, was well, on the one hand, people who, who liked the pack drop style, who obviously got lucky and, and pulled some very valuable assets, and also people who said, like, well, this was just like playing a lotto, just like a lottery, um, and not really worth it in terms of, um, the Punk 3 comic being like, a, I think it's 0.08, 0.09 ish floor right now, so, um, 50% less than, than the mint price. Um, personally, I like the drop. I also like the math before to figure out that it's basically EV positive to mint. So statistically speaking, you have a EV positive mint. Of course, the floor prices of the Genesis assets that people got, like the comic one, like more meta heroes um, found the style tokens. They also did drop a bit because the supply increased massively, but I yeah. still think um, that from an EV perspective, it is a, a net positive, especially because the comics themselves, if you just got the standard ones, aren't worthless. They are still worth something, even if you wanted to sell them to market right now. Um, I do are, understand... Are
0: you, sorry, go ahead. Are you only saying this because your Mint went very well? <laughs> I, I was lucky on my first <laughs> five. I
1: did pull two Founders DAO tokens, but honestly speaking, I, also there did, you go. I, I did the math um, on like my first five Mints, what the chance is that I'm ending up with um, just five standard comics, which was like 33% mm. and 67% for me to pull um, a non-standard item because like the mm. basic probability was like 18% to pull a non-comic item so or a non-standard comic item. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, I like the mint very much. And of course, I was lucky, but I, I like the concept of the mint, um, very much. I understand the criticism coming from a point that Pixel Vault has a lot of assets. I think mm. with the planets, meta heroes, everything together, it's, has to be more than a hundred, fifty thousand assets almost. It's, it's more, it's more, more than I've 200k I, even.
0: I think so. I, I can't remember the number, but I saw it somewhere. I think it might be more than 200, but I would so need to I, double check.
1: Yeah, I, I am obviously taking the numbers with a grain of salt, but certainly in the six-figure range then. Um, so I do understand the criticism of that, but it's it's still a bet on on their ecosystem because some people voice the criticism that, okay, you get NFTs from the Pixel Vault ecosystem and all they do for you is getting you more nfts which in essence is what 99 percent of the projects do right even with the bored apes you got your dogs you got your mutants you got your land you got more nfts with your nft so if you're criticizing that then you have to apply that criticism to all um of the similarly structured ecosystems and and projects all um and i think then that the criticism more is based on Will Pixel Vault be able to execute on the vision of, you know, tying this all together, building the game and creating their own, um, well, their own metaverse, really, that will have the need for all of those assets? Because I, I like the thought of having a lot of assets just from a point of view. You can't build a A game and only make it accessible to a 10K collection to 10k people because it's not worth the effort so you need assets in the hundred thousands and millions and maybe it feels to some like they are moving too fast and it feels to some like they're raising money very fast with those um with those drops but for me personally it's still a bet on their entire ecosystem and a bet that they will be able to execute on the roadmap and i think this is um, what it's ultimately about. Do you believe that or don't you?
0: Yeah, I think there's a reasonable point there about this kind of the a general hesitancy with Pixel Vault now, which is there's just so much going on and people feel slightly confused as to what is the priority, perhaps and how the things tie into each other. I know they've done some work in trying to provide some clarity on those things, but just going back to the, to the mint, I think I would make two points. The first is that it was completely transparent as to what you would get for your price and what, uh, Genesis items were available, what punks comic three items were available, what special edition punks comic three items were available. So it was perfectly reasonable for everyone to make their decision that if they don't want to pay the price to have a little gamble on getting something better, then you don't need to mint. I don't buy any argument which suggests that it's Pixel Vault's fault for charging a price which everyone decided to pay. Well, not everyone, because I'm sure some people didn't pay. Everyone decided to pay, which means that it was priced appropriately it might be a high price but there are many things in the world which are priced high but they're priced appropriately you can't complain about the price if there is demand for the product and in my view selling out in a couple of windows suggests that there is demand for the product at that price you can't just complain straight after that because you didn't get the thing which made made it a positive ev play for you so i think that's the first thing i think they yeah, like the price is a bit high, but people are allowed to price things high if there's demand and there was demand. So I, I think that is appropriate. And to be clear, I was one of the people who didn't mint because I didn't mint because I do actually want a punks comic three, but I didn't want to play the game. That's my choice. I didn't want to play the the game. I didn't want to play to pay point two to only get a point uh to get a, a normal Uh, comic so i thought well i'll buy the comic later great everyone wins like you still get the people who want to play the game and i get to buy mine later at a lower price which i think is more reasonable um and then the second thing on the numbers like the quantity of nfts as you said there is a there's definitely there's then they need to build out the ecosystem and when you think about what they are trying to do which is build something which is you know akin to Marvel or any one of these types of universes, you don't do that by limiting supply. You don't You do not do that by saying, we don't want this in the hands of people. Like you want there to be uh, items which are available at a price point which people can afford, right? You can't have it to be the case that the normal person who you're trying to onboard onto web three can't buy any of your assets or get involved in any way because they're too expensive. That's not how you achieve mass adoption or scale in, in any respect. So I'm kind of you with on the, I'm with you on the numbers thing. And then having said that, I do, I do think though that there's just a lot of variety of assets and different things. So maybe that maybe if anything, my takeaway would be they need to do a better job communicating what you know the vision for all of these assets and how they all tie in together because if it's one leap of faith to think okay they they should exist and that's they're appropriate to exist in order to build out this thing but maybe people just need a little bit of assurance that okay this is why we need these numbers and some information on that a couple of things to to add to that you made the perfect
1: point of it being a gamble pack style gamble mint and what for me set it apart from other mints is you got the you know, you got the odds before the mint. On other mints you're gambling that you're pulling insert random rare cartoon animal, but you don't know the odds. You don't know how many golden sea lions they're gonna be in your mint or what other trades might be desirable. Here, you knew the exact odds for getting one of the rare items, and you could have a look at the floor prices and be like, okay. These are the odds. And if I get this, I probably could sell it for that. And also factoring in that, you know, floor price would go down because the um, supply of the, the Genesis Pixel Vault items would increase, which again leads to your um, next point of creating multiple entry points. So, of course, you already had cheaper entry points into the Pixel Vault ecosystem like Mint Pass 2, which is like, I think at 0.1 ETH right now uh, or, or somewhere in that range. But also by having this um, massive supply of Genesis um, Pixel Vault items that now flooded the market and you know helped lowering the floor price again opened up Genesis Pixel Vault items to more potential collectors who pro- wouldn't want to afford
0: that before that. So, um, yeah, ultimately it's a it's a very delicate balance. There, are, there I do feel. For the people who are significantly underwater who bought at the top of this market, that wasn't, it would be a horrible, well, it's just, it's not a nice feeling to have bought the top and then see all of this stuff happen. So I do completely sympathize with that. Yeah. Um, It's just, yeah, I think, I think they need to do a job on communicating how these things fit into each other so people can decide. Okay, well, it is good to hold a Comic 3 for whatever reason. Like, is it just a comic? Is it going to play a part in the game? Or Because I think they started to talk about even Punk's Token playing some sort of role in the game. So I think people are very much on the lookout for how this stuff is all going to play out and work together moving forward, which I think is fair, to be honest. Um, so that was pretty cool. So Punk's Comic was a big, big drop in the last week. We also got some cool news on moonbirds, which I am particularly excited about. And you are also excited about because ravens are your favorite animal. Is that right? That's Literally your favorite animal? Or did you say your favorite bird? No, my favorite animal. How did the raven become your favorite animal? Full stop. I, Is there a cool story here? Is there an embarrassing story?
1: There's, I don't think that there's a cool, neither cool nor an embarrassing story here. But um, we have a lot of ravens in Vienna. I see them every day when I look out of my windows. Um, mm. I like watching them. I like, you know, all the mysticism and m- rich mythology that mm. humankind created around ravens. And I also like, you know, reading different um, studies on the the behavior of ravens that have been created over the last um decades and just to to see how how smart they are and how good of the memory um they have i think that was are they one of the really smart birds yeah 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 that was like um one study on a campus i think it was where they basically had people with um different colors of uh clothes and masks and one group was treating the ravens nicely and the other ones you know wasn't treating the Ravens nicely, like was chasing them, um, making loud noises, etc. And then they took a break from that experiment and revisited it after, I don't remember the period of time, it doesn't matter, but like some time passed, and they had the same uh, experiment again, and the Ravens did remember the color of the quote-unquote good people and of the evil people, and <laughs> completely changed their behavior, and were still like kind of pissed at the quote-unquote evil people so it is i don't know it's nice I, i just love ravens for for many many reasons and them being
0: smart birds is one of them that's pretty cool um so does that mean you will be definitely getting involved in the moonbirds ecosystem because the announcement well i don't know if there's i don't think there's been an official announcement yet but someone discovered that ravens have been registered i think as a trademark or yeah. something there's some there's been a registr- registration of ravens by proof and so i think the assumption is that this will be the next uh entry into the ecosystem in, into the moonbirds ecosystem probably as a companion to probably as the official companion to the moonbird because it was stated that oddities are not the official uh, kind of companion drop to the moonbirds. So I'm assuming that the ravens might be, but do not take that as gospel just yet. Um, so y- you will be getting a raven, I suspect.
1: Yeah, yeah. but So I, <laughs> I, I need to wait for the companion drop. You're saying not to buy an oddity right now, but this also assumes that the ravens would be the official companion drop if ravens weren't the official companion drop could they be hidden in the oddities or do you have any kind of speculation
0: on that i don't think so i don't think i think as far as i know oddities are done by grumplin they are a separate idea and will be a separate line of the moonbirds ecosystem i am assuming that the Ravens will be like the companion job to the moonbirds, but there's, but I wouldn't necessarily even say don't, I don't know what's planned for the odysseys, And because of this interesting nesting mechanic where we all nested out, well, the people who decided to nest their birds first, there was the bronze nest and then there was a re- re- reward for the nesters. Now we're coming up to the silver nest, which is, I think if you've nested for 60 days, And so there'll be something for nested birds at 60 days. And on top of that, it's also the date which I think the oddities reveal. I think there's some, there's some correlation or overlap where the nested birds reach their silver nest and the oddities reveal like kind of at the same time. So I don't know. There could, there could be. A very good reason to have the oddities moving into that reveal or you know, as we know sometimes on reveals everything goes down in price but it depends how they've planned this stuff out to what extent is it part of the Moonbirds ecosystem and something bigger is planned for it who knows I don't know maybe something will be revealed as we get closer to that date but it's a definite interesting development I'm starting to feel my favourite emotion again FOMO <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the the Moonbirds one. Like, I'm quite happy to to be in this ecosystem. I'm enjoying the way they're going about things. I would like to know what the the kind of bigger plan is. Do you know about Project Highrise? Not at all. So Highrise, I think <laughs> I might even be wrong on this. Highrise is, is, I think, the Moonbird equivalent, and it's not exactly the same as it, but it's the equivalent of Other Side for the board Apes, if only that it's like, it's the world that they're building. The metaverse is, it's not going to be a game. As far as I know, it's not going to be like other side, but if that's what helps you understand what the equivalent is. Um, And then, yeah, they, I think they've suggested it's going to be very different to anything that we've seen before. Like, it's not going to be a game. It's not going to be something, but it's going to be the metaverse kind of world where people can can do stuff. So I think that's the building going on in the background. So I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. I might need to get a moonbird then. But if I get a moonbird
1: now, my nesting basically starts at zero. So I start building to the bronze nest or do I take the nested status of the moonbird that I
0: bought? Good question. I think that you can... uh, I would need to check this, but I think you can buy and keep the nested status, I think. Mm -hmm. But let's check that. Yeah, I would definitely check before I buy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because technically, I don't think you can even list or something happens that if the whole point is, if you list your moon bird, you get kicked out of the nest. So interesting there must be some kind of dynamic built which means that you can sell and the nesting period goes with you or whatever you've whatever you've um whatever nesting period you've accrued up till that date um but yeah it's something worth checking um but yeah so ravens are coming basically but we don't know when and that's what that's the big moonbirds news so that should be very very interesting and then Finally, you wanted to talk a little bit about Dope Ape Club. And I when you explained this to me off air, it sounded super interesting because it's a great example of people getting creative with the rights that they are given by holding particular NFTs. So do you want to explain a little bit about what Dope Ape Club is and what it is seeking to achieve? Yeah, so basically the Dope Ape
1: Club story starts um, like many, many stories in this market as a free mint. And at the first glance, it's just another ape derivative that, um, caught my attention just for effect, fact it started as a free mint and it made more than 1k, um, ETH trading volume in a day and is at a 0.14 floor. And I was intrigued to learn more about that story. And I found out that. Basically, they partnered up with um, SigRoll, which is a tool that helps, as far as I understood, NFT users to manage the IP rights that are tied to the NFTs that they have in their collection. So what they did is they had seven to eight apes who um, used their IP rights that they had tied to their own apes to create those um, derivatives and create the Dope Ape Club collection. And I think it is an interesting play not for the fact that it's just uh, an ape derivative but that it shows the potential um, that you can use the nfts in your collection as productive assets in a way and it's not like you know you have a popular nft and you're trying to build a brand around that um, and use a board ape use a moonbird to you know get more reach get more engagement more credibility on Twitter it's really Licensing your IP rights and have a collection or have a derivative or have a project build around that. And I thought that's super interesting because that goes back to a thought that I had. I was like, and I think I talked to you about that, that if I had a significant amount of time and a significant amount of funds available, I would probably like to buy a couple of quote unquote mid tier projects in this bear market. And tie them all together and just build a completely new brand around them. Um, mm. And now that thought kind of reappeared because you can license out IP rights to you know individual board apes, individual I don't know whatever other um, NFTs uh, um, or collectibles you like, and build a custom project around those. And it's it's fascinating because it's fascinating because it also goes back to what um, Snoop Dogg actually said at Vcon. Where he was like, "Okay, you have the, you know, the. the I think his words were the dumbass monkey sitting in your wallet, and you don't do anything <laughs> with it. You can use that; it is a productive asset. And I get the barrier of, you know, not everyone wants to build their own brand, not everyone wants to leverage their NFT as a brand building tool, but just having a tool that allows you to use and monetize your IP rights is fascinating."
0: Yes. That is very, very interesting, and I think it definitely backs up the idea that look, these are productive assets. you can use them for your own benefit. Am I right in thinking so with with these dope apes is the underlying ape the bit that the owners have, and then they're kind of remixed, so they've there's the underlying ape which is the Same ape as the, the ape owns, and then they've just added like various accessories to it. Basically, they changed the um
1: the hair, they changed the skin color, um, or the fur to be more precise, they changed the clothing accessories. Um, but it is based on the ape that they were holding. I think it's based on a total of seven to eight apes, and it's 3.3k. Um, dope apes that have been created as a derivative in this collection
0: i'm just thinking about this and this is all instinctive so don't take any of this as legal advice or whatever but if you were to say to me like you just did that it's based on the same ape but the question is okay in what way is it based on the same ape and you said i because i'm thinking okay it is that ape but with a few accessories changed, it's like, well, okay, then that is using the underlying ape as the basis for which to, to go and accessorize it and monetize it in a different way. But if you start changing the color of the ape and maybe changing the color of the hair of the ape, is there a chance that some of the uh, underlying apes actually look like other people's apes? And because of a change that they've made it actually um, is sort of infringing on someone else's identity or trait or digital ape. That's a, that's
1: a very good question and very good point that you make. And, you know, this is just from what I have seen so far. So yeah, I'll yeah, also yeah. take this with a grain of salt. But from what I've seen, all the traits and new hairstyles, like, you know, a wig with white long hair that they created, etc., um, didn't or don't exist in the original board ape collection Also, like the new sunglasses and, um, fur colors that they created. None of them exist in the original collection. So there can't be a way where by kind of remixing the ape, you're infringing on another original board ape holders, ape, because they all have gotten new traits and, if you look at those, this is such an interesting, super case. interesting. Because if you look at them, basically the mouth um, helps to tell you know what ape it originally was. Um, some of the original um, accessories have been only altered. So if you look at the collection, you will be able to see ah okay this has to be the original ape for that derivative, but mm. it can't really infringe on another ape from what I've seen.
0: This is a really interesting one because I don't think when Yuga Labs granted people commercial licenses that they would envisage that to include essentially the same ape as an NFT. Because to a large extent, these are trading on the basis that it is an ape, an ape which is similar to the underlying ape which is the Yuga Labs board ape um, and it's I don't know it's kind of like a smart way to do a derivative but I, I don't know my, my legal brain is turning a little bit at the moment and thinking well what in what like how similar, like how different to the underlying ape does it need to be for this to be a legitimate remix or using the commercial license to, to create your own thing versus just using the ape and trading off uh, the board ape, uh, the underlying board ape. And it's
1: also going to be very interesting to see how the market values that. Like we have derivative ape collections, like say the Japanese Born Ape Society. Which you know has all all the traits in uh, the Japanese culture, but it's it's not based on individual IP licenses of individual apes, and they are building their own you know community etc. and whatever they are doing on the one hand, and on the other hand, having derivative collections that you know have the claim to be based on the IP rights of a certain number of apes and how the market is going to look at those two different types of derivatives will it be like oh this is just a derivative and this is a derivative that actually has ip rights that have been used to it and thus is more valuable or won't the market care about that at all this is going to be interesting to see how that plays out
0: yeah it's a really good question i I don't know i know you're just posing the question but in trying to answer it i think in the end when it comes to derivatives it will I suspect it will, it will come down to more the value of the people running it and the community which they manage to foster. Once derivatives become derivatives and then there are derivatives of derivatives and derivatives of derivatives, like it's hard to make a case that, oh, this art is so amazing. Like I really want this derivative over another. I think, I think what will be the case is you will ask, well, who runs this derivative? It is cool. It's obviously based off that brand, which I do like. Who runs it? What's the community like? Do I enjoy spending time with them? Do I learn from them? Are they valuable to me? And maybe things will focus in on that a little bit more. I don't know what you think. Yeah, the the community
1: always is going to play an important role. But I can see um, a world where, you know, starting your derivative project and actually using IP rights of existing collectibles kind of giving you a head start and making you look more you know legitimate in terms of in terms of the project like I don't know I'm just making things up but this is
0: this was just the first thought on it what what about this question though so you buy one of these dope ape clubs and ape nfts and are you then allowed to remix that dope ape by changing some traits to traits which do not exist in the dope ape club nor the bored ape club? Because essentially this it could go around in, in, to infinity, right?
1: But basically this is what derivatives that don't have that um, IP rights are doing either way already, like the apes with the yellow background or the Japanese-born ones.
0: Yeah, but the, the question here is, so the Bored Ape holders have the commercial rights to the Bored Ape. Do the Dope Ape Club holders have commercial rights to the Dope Ape Club? And if they do, are they even allowed to have that when essentially the commercial rights to that only exists because of a commercial license to the Bored Apes? Yeah. So is it... Is it okay for because when you're once removed from the the source is it okay for the derivative of the dope ape clubs to have a commercial license for something when they don't have a board ape when the thing that they're holding is essentially a board ape licensed yeah so basically product. the question is if I can create a derivative project
1: and give People commercial rights to that derivative. Also, they don't have the original underlying asset that already has been licensed out for that project. I don't know. I mean, it's a super relevant question. Um, I like my first instinct would be: Isn't it then like just any other derivative, or would it be recognizable as oh, this is a derivative that's based off the Dope Apes? And I don't know if they can hand out a license for that. And Yeah, I'm going to ask one of my friends. This goes back to a couple of podcast conversations that we had. The licensing and the IP rights tied to the NFTs are incredibly complex and no one understands them yet. And people are underestimating that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think people are not taking them seriously and they're just throwing them out the window. And my general take now, as it was when we first spoke about it, is that these things exist for a reason. There will be complications in six months, 12 months, 18 months, you know, three years, once we've had a chance to actually play around with this stuff. And people will ultimately realize that no, they do not want everyone to have permission to use everything without any recourse. Toop. But that will be. A conversation for
1: 12 months two quick points to add uh, to that what I would like to know and I don't know about the dope ape club is whether they have or the original ape holders if this is an exclusive or a non-exclusive license because if people are mm-hmm. using exclusive commercial licenses then you know kind of the number of derivatives that can be created is somewhat limited but if i can license out and have 50 projects derivatives created based on my ape then then there's really no actual value in using that license in that way if it's non-exclusive and non-limited at all
0: yeah it's um it's not clear and I, I know from having conversations with people I've helped one project in particular with some of the legal conversations around IP I sat in on their legal calls and from what I can tell from the legal analysis from the lawyers in London on already existing licensing agreements is that they're really, really weak. Yeah. Like they're they're pretty poorly drafted. They're not very protective of the brand. But I mean, that's the point, right? Brands think that that's what they want now because it, the meta is to let community do stuff with the brands. But... Um, yeah, that'll be a problem. Did you have a second point as well? Yes, you going to ask? thank you. And
1: I, I remembered it in the meantime because I did forget. The second point is a quite funny uh, thing to see and that ties back to the Pixel Vault drop that we talked about before. Someone was you know, criticizing um, or questioning, I should say, the success of Punk's um, comic and the Pixel Vault ecosystem by saying if you look at, for example, meta heroes, there's not a high number of derivatives out there as compared to apes or punks. So it's Interesting. Interesting to also get. I mean, I know there's Moonlings, which yes, it, can we call it a derivative? Yeah, it's
0: derivative. yeah, yeah I, th-
1: I think so. Which yeah. is a super cool community, in my opinion. Um, but it's interesting to look at it and be like, oh, okay, punks are successful because I see thirty copies of punks running around, and this project isn't because there's only a limited amount of copies of that project <laughs> running around. And this is like not really a success metric that we would apply in a non-NFT world. Like no one would make the case, I don't know, Rolex is successful because there is more fake Rolexes than original ones. I mean, it's a fact, but it's not what makes the company successful
0: in a way. Yeah, that is interesting. That is a really, really interesting point. Um, Yeah, I definitely think that there is it's a, increasingly people are thinking that the number of derivatives you know, it, it accrues value to the underlying asset, right? That's, that's people's general position.
1: It kind of seems to be the case, yeah.
0: Cool, man. That was a really interesting point. Let's leave it on that interesting point. That was a good chat. We talked about all sorts of stuff. Um, let's leave it there. Good to speak, mate. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.